Hello and welcome to this edition of DMZ America Podcast. I'm Scott Stantis. It's Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. I'm coming to you from the right. And coming to you from the left, I'm Ted Rawl. Ted, um, so apparently there was some kind of court decision. <laughs> that came um, so I heard. Kenosha, uh, I guess, don't you know? You know, I, I, there probably someone should write like the his, American history as told through controversial, uh, racially tinged court decisions. Um, someone probably could may have already done that. But yes, um, Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, 18 years old, was 17 when uh, the incident for which he was tried occurred. And he mom dropped know. him off. Can you imagine your mom? Could you imagine for a moment? Just, I'm sorry. Hey, mom, I, I, there's a riot. Take me to the riot. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. I, I, I got to get my gun. I got to get my gun. Hold on. Okay, don't. It's like, don't forget. No, no, the mom. You know the mom's totally like, now, Kyle, uh, dress warm. Uh, <laughs> you might want to bring your extra MAGA hat. And, uh, you know, this is a cold night, so you're probably going to want the armor-piercing bullets. Uh, but bring the hollow points, um, you know. It's like <laughs> that, your, that your Aunt June gave you for Christmas. You, you know, like, oh, no, 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 that Glock's not going to do it tonight. You're really going to need the AR-15 because, you know, some of those white people are pretty thick, and you're going to need some <laughs> popping power. <laughs> pretty okay, so, I mean, we all know the story. It goes up there to defend... Uh, property, which is weird, but and also that again flies in the face of common law and frankly common sense. Um, but his, yeah, apparently his dad lives up there. He gets rattled. He does get um, pushed around, threatened by some of the protesters. Um, the third of which uh, survived, but was permanently injured. And uh, during his, the prosecution put him. You think the prosecution would have asked this question? But. They put him on the stand. He said, well, yes, I did have a weapon. I did have a gun. And I may have inadvertently pointed it at him. It's like. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing is like what's so interesting is the entire case uh, hinged on his claims of self-defense under Wisconsin law. It sounds like he was obviously he was ably defended uh, as every defendant should be and deserves to be. Um, and the thing that's interesting to me and is an angle that I haven't heard anyone talk about is, you know, unfortunately, the two guys who are dead aren't here to to say what was going through their minds. But you have to speculate that they would probably say that they were the ones defending themselves. Um, they probably felt like they saw this kid pointing a very large gun at them. Um, and, you know, they probably were like, holy shit, this kid could hurt us. And so maybe, you know, foolishly, uh, obviously foolishly, um, they attacked him, chased him, tried to grab his gun away. I mean, any, anyone can see doing the same thing. If, some, if someone were pointing a gun at me or even brandishing it in my general direction, I might react by thinking I've got to neutralize this kid. Well, that's the next case coming up, right? Those, the rednecks in the trucks who, you know. <laughs> the, the Arbery case. Yes. And the, how they, I mean, and so Arbery grabs the gun. Well, of course he did. If I had a couple of rednecks in their pickup trucks jump out with shotguns, I'm chasing I, you, know, you. Yeah. After having chased you. What's your option? You know, I mean, really. Yeah, uh, that's, that's instinct. That's human instinct. You're going to do that. But in the Rittenhouse case, I want to go back and I followed it and had a very good friend of mine, uh, Eric Zorn, as a former columnist for the Chicago Tribune and still writes um, uh, independently and has written on this case extensively. And he makes it he, – he's he, – and believe me, Ted, you know better than anyone. When you fly – when you're a liberal and you fly in the face of the you know dominant uh, narrative, <laughs> you get your – your head bitten off and he has because he said listen this case he's not guilty in the context of these laws i think that this decision was the right decision to make in this particular case i truly do and uh you know but what makes me sick to my stomach about the rittenhouse case is not the verdict the verdict i think was appropriate under wisconsin laws under federal laws what really is fucked up here, Ted, is the federal laws and the state laws that allow a 17-year-old douchebag to go and stand in front of a building with a gun. Well, that's – I mean, Scott, uh, we're uh, totally – I know we're supposed to be arguing here, but I, I totally agree with you. I, as you know, I wrote about this 
in my column this week. Um, it wasn't the main subject of it, but it was uh, important. In you know, I mean, I think what's going on here is look. Uh, on the left, there's an unfortunate um, habit of uh, sort of engaging in the sort of team politics that we usually decry on the right. And it's like, well, you know, we don't like this kid. He's a right winger. He's a Trumpy. He's pro cop, um, you know, and so therefore he should go to jail. Look, that's fortunately not how our justice system works. Um, you know, we have laws and the jury clearly followed the laws, which is why really no legal expert from left to center to right thought that the verdict would be anything different than this. Um, there was some speculation that he might have been found guilty on some mi- relatively minor charge. But basically what he did was legal, right? And so what I wrote about in my, in my syndicated column is that, look, the problem is the law. Um, you know, it's what are we appalled by? We're appalled by the idea that a 17-year-old can can use a gun in an un, unsupervised by an adult. I mean, I, I don't have. I mean, I shot it. I shot guns in Boy Scouts and went to the shooting range. But you know, under adult supervision, I think no one under the age of 18 should be allowed to possess a gun at all. And when they use one, it should be under the direct supervision, like for example, of an adult hunter or shooting range person. Um, I, I think most people listening to me now probably would agree with me, including the one out of three Americans who own a gun. Um, uh, I don't think I'm saying anything controversial here. Uh, I also think that more, the vigilantism, you know, that we have seen not just in in Kenosha, but all over the country at Black Lives Matters and other left wing protests, where right wingers show up with big guns and. They, and they stand there and play junior super cop. That should be illegal. And, you know, I, I was on uh, Sputnik uh, being interviewed about this yesterday morning on one of their shows. And, you know, their conservative co-host, you know, brought up the point, well, you know, this is a, uh, you know, this is, it, it is, it is, uh, yeah, I'm losing my train of thought here. We might want to edit this part out. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. This is the what coffee makes hasn't really... Makes the- podcast charming uh, uh yes or or you know my my early bidenism is is setting in here <laughs> um god i don't remember what he said but anyway getting back to the point here i just think uh the, the vigilantism should be illegal oh yeah i remember he said well you know p- p- the the cops have um they fell down on the job and so there was a sense among conservatives that the um that that like civilians had to step in and i said like even if you know we accept that assumption which i don't um it's like the answer to a failure of the authorities to maintain law and order is not vigilantism the answer is for the uh, to insist upon the authorities to restore law and order um and so and i don't think anyway the point is if he went to help, he didn't help because two, two people lost their lives who wouldn't have lost their lives if he hadn't been there. So that vigilantism shouldn't, shouldn't be there. Uh, it shouldn't be legal. But the laws currently allow it foolishly. Yeah. And I would say go even further and say, frankly, the Second Amendment, um, if we were writing the Constitution today – probably would not read the way it does. It wouldn't be as open-ended. It wouldn't be as broad. Uh, The United States is only one of three countries in the world that has gun rights enshrined in its constitution, along with Guatemala and Mexico. And even those two countries hardly really allow you to own a gun. I mean, in Mexico, there's literally one gun shop, and it's in Mexico City, and it's on an army base. um, And you can't buy anything other than a pistol, and in Guatemala, you have to have a permit that basically you'd better know, like, the president in order to, to get it. Uh, in order, You can buy bigger guns, but it's pretty much impossible in reality to get one. Um, now, that's not to say people don't own guns all over the world illegally. But, you know, in the U.S. certainly is an outlier. And it, we, I mean, look, it's a, it's a relic of the 18th century. We, you know, we don't hunt anymore. Uh, we're, we're an urban and suburban society. It's not necessary anymore to have to just say everybody's allowed to own a gun and carry it around in public. Well, to, first off, I just want to comment on cops failed here. They didn't. In fact, they facilitated Rittenhouse getting in and out. We, I mean, there's recordings of them thanking him for it. We're, we're glad you guys are here. 
which is insane. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. Well, that's because the cops are so right wing. Yeah, they are. They really are. Um, and in fact, in Chicago, obviously, we're on cartoonist at the Tribune. The uh, head of the Fraternal Order of Police, the Policeman's Union, is, has been to numerous Trump events. And it actually stepped down as a police officer because he didn't want to get the vaccine because Bill Gates chip. I don't know why, because he's an idiot. Um, but don't tell me that the cops, this was a failure of policing because it wasn't. The police were there in force. Um, they just, you know, love these other guys who come and play police officer. But Ted, a, while, a number of years ago, you wrote a piece that was counterintuitive for someone who's viewed as a liberal commentator that you like gun ownership and you support it. I, I do. Has your views changed on that at all, or? Um, you know, I, I, I my views have certainly been a little modified. I mean, until you know, a few years ago, I was thinking that um, I really did, and I still am very sympathetic to the view that uh, in the event of a societal collapse or like a right wing takeover or for that matter any kind of takeover um there is sort of a it's sort of like a breaking glass in case of emergency kind of scenario that private citizens can have guns and it can become the roots of a future grassroots resistance movement and i still think that's true but i'm becoming increasingly uncomfortable in light of all the mass shootings uh with the incredible uh, firepower of a weapon like the AR-15. Um, you know, it just seems like, uh, I mean, I guess in a, in a case of a resistance movement, it would be a good weapon to have. But um, it, it, in, it, the practical truth is on a day-to-day basis, until the revolution or a resistance movement or whatever, or a clampdown happens, we've got, you know, I mean, they're, the country's awash in these things, and we have um, deranged people going to, for example, that country rock um, concert in Vegas where yeah. there was a mass shooting. I mean, the uh, unspeakable um, scale, um, you know, and it's just it's all the time now. It, it's out of control. It really is. And I mean, so. Uh, I would not personally vote to repeal the Second Amendment at all, but I do think um, leg- gun control legislation limiting um, the possession uh, of people to smaller caliber weapons um, would be, I think, wh- where I would land. And I also think, I also think, if you have a car, has to, if you have to be licensed to drive, you should be licensed to operate a gun as well. Like you should pass a gun safety test. You probably shouldn't have a crazy ass criminal record. Um, You know, I mean, I would say like, if you have, if you're convicted of numerous violent crimes, you shouldn't be able to own a gun. Um, You know, that kind of thing. Right. But the argument, the counter argument to that is that uh, guns, you know, guns are a constitutional right. Driving is not. Guns are specifically mentioned in the Constitution. They're specifically mentioned because we just l- broken away from, uh, uh, you know, an occupying force. When the, in the, uh, well, of course, the- of course, the thing is, it's a good thing they didn't mention cars in the Constitution. Well, that <laughs> would have been interesting, huh? That would have been. <laughs> that's like, forward. That's forward. Thank you. Mike. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the thing is that that's 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 circ. I mean, you know, the thing is that's circular logic. Like, well, you know, uh, it, the counter argument is it's not. That's not the law the way it is. I know that's not the law the way it is now. I'm arguing that it the law should change. Right, and that's but that's very difficult. I mean, and, the, and the gun provisions of the Second Amendment were established in my uh, clearly established because they saw a threat from from the government to your freedoms. They saw that the, the government was the source of oppression and the government's well armed. And so, in fact, and don't forget also they were, and don't forget. I mean, a, a lot of the. Um, people that they were writing for lived, uh, you know, in close proximity to Native Americans. Uh, there were there were Indian raids. Um, they they wanted to kill Indians or fend, or drive them off prop their land or, you know, quote I think the unquote, fact their that land. Form of well-regulated militia is mentioned in the in the Second Amendment is is proof to me that this is established specifically as a bulwark against uh, government intrusion and invasion of your rights. Right. Now, the thing that everyone's always going to argue about is clearly they mentioned the, you know, well-regulated and they're really talking about state militias, right, at that time. Um, they're, Who George they're Washington have, despised, by the way. 
he thought they were he thought they were idiots he thought they were all a bunch of rittenhouses you know and which they were true which they were and he and the thing is so the 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 the, you know obviously the the um you know when when james madison wrote that um he they had that in mind right but the question is is it it's just is it sort of a a preamble like well because of this we're going to provide this right and this right goes to everyone or does it mean uh, you know, this right only applies to state militias. I, I, I kind of fall on the, I mean, you know, people have always, linguists have been teasing out the meaning, the original intent for forever, and nobody's ever agreed. But I, I kind of lean on the, the way it reads to me is definitely the first definition. It's like, this is what we've had, you know, you know, granted that state militias, well-regulated state, well-regulated militias are necessary. Therefore, we're going to give this right. But they didn't say the right only applies to state militias. No. And I mean, would you, I mean, would you, and you said you'd repeal the Second Amendment or you would would not. Yeah, I I would, I would amend it. Um, I, I would, you know, so effectively I would repeal it and replace it. I mean, look, we have, the fact is you have to deal with the country as it is. One out of three Americans currently owns a gun, 32%, according to the most recent survey um, that I was able to find. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, turn all these people into lawbreakers and kick down the doors of 110 million people? Like, no. Um, you know, it's like the, the point is a lot of people have guns. And, you know, when you really think about it that way, there aren't really that many mass shootings. You know, um, there are a lot of guns out there. A lot of people have them. Uh, so... I would say I would, you know, the regulations I would pass is I would reduce, I would definitely pass laws to reduce the um, number of guns that are sold and manufactured in the U.S. I would put a, you know, I'd put a limit on that. I'd say, you know, we're only going to have so many. And so eventually you're going to start to phase them out. Um, And the old ones are going to get older and older and they're going to be less operational. And look, in a hundred years, we shouldn't, assuming we're still around as a species, uh, we shouldn't, Uh. we shouldn't have guns. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Then we'll, we'll need them. We'll need them to shoot the mutant creatures that the mutant pangolins that have come to eat us. (laughs) Well, that's going to dovetail well into our next segment. Ted, you wrote a, wonderful column asking an important question i'm going to leave it at that and we will be back welcome back to the dmz america podcast i'm scott stance coming to you from the right i'm ted rawl on the left so ted recently you wrote a column about the um need for a new constitution that the old u.s constitution is antiquated has a bunch of crazy stuff in it and that most constitutions across the globe are updated on a regular basis um there are those of us who find the um constitution seriously as almost sacrosanct because it was you know for those of us who believe in a god <laughs> we think <laughs> um who you know, wrote the Constitution? Well, but it certainly seems inspired, and it was inspired at its time. But I want to have this discussion now about do we need a new Constitution? This is a shocking – I mean, when you propose this, it's kind of a shocking notion to a lot of people. But it's not a new idea. It's been bandied about for a while. But can you fill us in a little bit more on what you wrote in your column and where you come down on this question? Sure. Um, so – the problem with the United States Constitution, as I see it, is that A, it's antiquated, and B, it's hard, really hard, nearly impossible to amend it so that it's not antiquated. I mean, among the provisions that I think no, everyone agrees would not be in there if, we cre- if it was created today, uh, the Electoral College, very few – most most advanced countries don't have an Electoral College. They go by popular vote. Um, Certainly, uh, we don't need the provision uh, against quartering uh, the Third Amendment, uh, quartering foreign uh, troops in your home, although although I'm not in favor of quartering. Have you ever had troops quartered in your your abode? I have not. I have had... I've had out of town guests, which is, <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there's a company, I don't know if you have that out there, probably not called Jennifer Convertibles. And uh, they sell uh, very uncomfortable, uh, you know, convertible sofas. And I remember one time going to shop for one there and I was like, oh, can I try it out? And the guy's like, the salesman was like, don't bother. It's like a torture device. And I'm like, 
really? He goes, that's the whole point. You live in New York. You don't want them to stay. So I think <laughs> instead of the Third Amendment, everybody can just buy a Genesis convertible. And uh, that problem is solved. You know, when, when British, when redcoats come to your home, you know, they'll just like be there for like a day and they'll be like, holy shit, I'm out of here. Um, there was also, um, you know, there's, there's a, the, the, from the original constitution, still in there. I think it's the seventh amendment. Uh, I could be wrong. The 20th, there's a $20 limitation on like, there's a $20 threshold for what is, uh, is actionable in civil court. I mean, you know, $20 was a lot of money in 1787. Yeah, that uh, could not so much you. now. That could buy um, you in like a state. And they never amended it. Um, there's the second, the, and of course the second amendment, which we were talking about earlier. And I, I, I think we all agree that it would not be in its present form. Um, the polls show that, uh, you know, a, a decent, uh, a 55% to 43% in the most recent polls um, think that the second amendment should be watered down significantly. I, I, I think, look, it's just, it's a discussion that we could have, but the problem is that the Constitution has not been amended since 1971, right? That was 50 years ago. And when they did, it was over something very minor. It was over Constitution. The Congress can't vote itself a raise that takes effect until before the next term. I don't know why that had to be a constitutional amendment, but it is. And, like, so now, um, but, I mean, basically, you can't – you have to go back to, like, women's suffrage and the repeal of prohibition, to find a significant amendment. Meanwhile, oh, I'd say you know, the 22nd Amendment is pretty significant in terms of um, term limits for the presidency. Oh, that's significant. That's true. Post FDR. Right. But so, okay, so, you know, fine. So we're looking about, we're looking at 80 years of history. I mean, look, the country has changed a lot. And, um, you know, I, I, one of the things I didn't put in the article I found is there have been 11,000 attempts to amend the U.S. Constitution wow. since 1787. Obviously, uh, only a tiny fraction of those have been successful. Now, probably a lot of them were stupid, but come on. I mean, and like we can't even like we don't even have women's rights enshrined in the Constitution. There's all sorts of rights that are now standard all over the world um, that are, uh, you know, for example, the right to health care. The right to shelter is a standard constitutional right in Western democracies. We don't, we can't even think about saying, I mean, we should be able as a country to say, let's talk about this and, you know, maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. And if we are going to do it, then we can amend. But we can't because we literally have the hardest constitution to amend in the world. I don't know. That's a problem. I don't think it's that big a problem because, I mean, if you open this up, I mean, you talked about 11,000 attempts. I mean, I can, I can remember in my lifetime some of the Looney Tunes things that were proposed to amend the Constitution. Uh, outlaw flag burning. Okay, um, that's stupid. And I'm trying to think. The First Amendment. I'm trying to think. Yeah, well, of course. But I'm trying to think of some of the other goofy things that have been, you know, uh, declaring the United States a, a Christian nation. That was John Anderson, the 1980 independent candidate. As a young congressman, he proposed that amendment. Are you serious? That, that he wanted to say if that uh, he wanted to declare that Jesus Christ was the titular head of the United States. John Anderson, the John Anderson, white haired guy with the glasses. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. I remember this very well. Um, he went to, uh, he came to my high school and I asked him about it. I was the ass. I was that kid. (laughs) (laughs) You're the one who made those damn things last forever. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Fairmont West high school, 1980. I don't remember his answer, but you know, it was very, I remember it was very politician-y, um, you know, he he didn't really answer the he, you know that you know the st- the first thing they tell you in media training is don't answer the question that you are asked at, answer the question that you wish you were asked. Sure, sure. So I just think that you know if you opened up the Constitution or just said okay we're going to trash this one we're going to write a whole new one, that opens it up for a whole bunch of Looney Tunes on the left and the right, frankly. Um, and w- so but maybe I- we could make it easier to amend anyway. I mean. Look, there's good stuff in there. You know, I mean, there is. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I'd say you're right. Yes. But like, I mean, but I mean, Sorry. I do, yeah. but I do like, so how we get there isn't as important as just 
getting trying to get there. I mean, I, look, the it turns out that like every two or three years, like countries like France and Germany, which are healthy democracies, uh, you know, they have their their challenges like everyone else, but um, they amend their constitutions uh, or what Germany calls its basic law. This is basic law. Um, you know how yeah. they 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 do it to the point where almost half the document is effectively replaced every two or three years, and, and that's how much they amend. They're nipping and tucking all the time. We don't have to go that far, but I mean, like we can't pass women's rights. We can't pass women the Equal Rights Amendment. I mean, what the fuck? We don't even know what the rules are. I mean, they. It's so unclear the ratification process that I think we're only a few states away from yeah, ERA. In fact, the states voted for it. I believe it was Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. And um, for some reason, they put a time limit on passage. Right. But nobody really knows if the time limit is itself constitutional or I not. I don't believe that it is, quite frankly. I don't know. I don't how think it's, it's in the Constitution or even implied. And so if I don't even think there's case law. If you're a strict constructionist, then you can say they did not. They clearly did not put a time limit on this stuff for a reason, right? Yeah. Um, so it's. I mean, I mean, come on. I think we can all agree that like the Equal Rights Amendment should be passed, right? I mean, well, I tell you, I mean, that creates a whole bunch of. I mean, there's a lot of constitutional lawyers who wrote extensively. I remember it being that active debate back when I too. was a tot. And um, it would create a lot of different issues, a lot of, uh, you know, obviously the Supreme Court would have to filter through and decide what exactly. Well, like, for example, would women be subject to the draft? And they should be. They should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've always felt that. I always thought it was crazy that they weren't. Um, But I, I tell people this all the time and they think I'm nuts. But do yourself a weird favor if you have a moment. Look up the 1976 Republican Party platform. And oh, yeah. No, it was pro-ERA, right? It was pro-ERA. The Republican Party was for ERA. It was, the Democrat it was also Party. pro-environmentalist. Uh, well, ER, uh, the EPA started by Richard Nixon. Um, it also talk, it's also pro, pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's like, like it, it will make your brain hurt to know where, that, to know where the Republican well, it, Party was it, then. Yeah, actually, you know, that's an interest that, that's an interesting like to probably just you and me thought experiment. <laughs> what if Jerry Ford had won in 76? Is that would that have been the future of the GOP instead of the right turn under Reagan? I don't know. I think Reagan had positioned himself. He damn near unseated Jerry Ford in 76 primaries. Yeah, uh, he did. It really did come down to the uh, uh, to the convention. Yep, and um, so I think he positioned himself for a, a very strong run in 1980. But in 80, yeah, but then, but then Ford would have been the incumbent. And could Ford have run again? That's another constitutional question, kids. I think because- he. I think I, no, of course he could have run again because look at um, LBJ. LBJ could have, could have run in 68 and chose not to. Yeah, but now wait a minute. Yeah, you're right. Why didn't, why didn't Coolidge run again in 28? They want like, to. He just he just didn't care. Yeah, he was like, I'm done. You know, it's two okay. terms, right. just like George Washington. Well, it was like one and a half terms, right? Yeah, and I think I have to believe. You know, I'm. You know, I know you've been covering politics a long time too, and I know you're shocked that I've been made into a cynic on this issue. Well, Tr- and Truman, Truman also didn't run in. 52. Truman couldn't because his administration was was riff with corruption. Believe it, you know, this all this all this bullshit yeah. that this honest guy. Just and an his, honest man from Independence, Missouri. His poll numbers were in the twenty percentiles. He was not he could not I mean he'd be able don't forget the forty eight election was a was a yeah, he's, he was the shot. Jimmy Carter of his of his day, like fondly remembered as an ex president, but not actually as a president. Right. He so in fifty two he just decided not to run. Cool uh, Coolidge, I think, had although I'm, this is based on very little evidence, but I'm convinced that he knew or saw what was, you know, in the mail in terms of the economy. Oh. Uh, so he didn't run. Well, he, was a, he was a very smart guy, so that's entirely possible. Yeah. yeah, he was, He was. you know, he decided not to run 28. Obviously, 29 happens, and, uh, you know, well, bada boom, bada bing. But you're right. <laughs> it's it is interesting. It's an interesting uh, But, I mean, but the exercise. thing is, it, nobody, nobody believed that LBJ couldn't run in 68 constitutionally. I don't know. No, I don't think that was ever. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think that was ever a question in, or an issue. Um, 
If now if so Elby, I think Floyd would have. Therefore, if Elby I think Jay Floyd. had won in '68, he would have run against Nixon. Would he have beaten Nixon? Um, Tough one. Well, that's a that's hard to say. I mean, he, I, I think he was maybe not as weakened as he thought. You know what I mean? I think he was tired. I think he was exhausted by the. Um, yeah, he died five years later. Yeah. Was it five? I thought it was less. I thought it was like seventy. Maybe it was. 72 or 73, right? I forget which. I thought it was 72, but I could be. It might have been. I think you're right. I think it was 72. You know what? It was after the election. It was in like December of 72. Oh, is that right? Okay. Didn't like two former presidents die like at the same time? Yeah, Eisenhower died about the same time as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember that. I got got so weird. I remember that. This is a special report. Presidents are dropping like flies. Well, we know what our current president will be doing in the next couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, for all we know, he might still already be dead. But anyway. <laughs> hey, Ted, listen, you also wrote a column um, that ran the Wall Street Journal, which still I think is wonderful that you write for them because it just seems so counterintuitive. But they – By the I, way, it's funny. All my – all my, uh, so many people on social media are like – Nice job, you know, selling out to the right. And I'm like, well, it's funny because, uh, you know, the New York Times op-ed page hasn't called lately. You know, if they do, operators are standing by. Lines yes. are open. At Raw Corp. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I think it's uh, I, I'm I think happy it's- to provide my uh, bank account number for funds to be wired into. I mean, hello. And you're yeah. an important voice for them. I, I think you're an important voice, period. But you talked about Vax resistance. And, I mean, this was so counterintuitive to the argument we're having in the country right now. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit about what that column was about? Because it was, so was – it's jaw-dropping. I got to admit, it's jaw-dropping. Well, so it's an interesting um, question. You know, I was thinking about um, the vaccine mandates, uh, notably – um, I think it's been it's currently being um, up. There's a there's a restraining order, but Biden announced people will remember about a month ago or so that any business over a hundred people has to uh, everyone who works there has to be vaccinated. In addition, all public workers like cops, firefighters, teachers, etc., have to be vaccinated. If not, what happens is um, they get they get dumped into sort of an eight week holding period where they're on unpaid leave. And if they if that hasn't concentrated their minds and made them go and get vaccinated, then they lose their jobs. So effectively, people are being told you will be fired unless you agree to get vaccinated. Right. And right. this has been something that's been bothering me. As a, a leftist, as a progressive, as someone who, as a socialist, as someone who cares about working people and workers. Um, and I finally realized, it clicked for me, that it's, to me, a, an is- it's a workers' rights issue. That, you know, we don't, mm. as a worker, I don't judge other workers because they don't eat right or they don't exercise or they vote Republican or they vote for Trump or, you know, they listen to stupid music or whatever. <laughs> the point is, I mean, we're, we're, prof- you know, like I don't want workers to be fired for being Republican. I don't want workers to be fired for, uh, for, for not getting vaccinated. I want them to get vaccinated. I'm vaccinated, but I want the government to, to convince them to do that. I don't want them. And the thing is, I think I could live with the vaccine mandates if they were providing free testing as an alternative, but they're not. So literally it's like you have to get there. It's not even like if people want to get tested at their own expense that they could keep their jobs. They're, they're, they're literally told that you have to be vaccinated. It's just unreasonable. I think it's like, if you tell people like, you look, I mean, it's like, I don't even understand what the big deal is. If I'm, I am vaccinated and because I'm vaccinated, I'm not scared of non-vaccinated people. Yeah, I'm extremely vaccinated, vaccinated. <laughs> quadruple vaccinated. It's You're the most vaccinated guy I know. That's um, right. This is one of those, I mean, what makes us so, and I got to wonder what kind of reaction you're getting to the column because it just seems so counterintuitive to what the, the what we perceive to be the Democratic and the and the left wing of, of America is, is saying, back, get vaccinated, get vax, you know, um, vax mandates are good and that, you know, how dare you fight against them. But in fact, my view of vax resistance is that, you know, you do have bodily autonomy. This is your choice. This isn't that you've mentioned a friend of yours described it. And I think accurately as an act of violence. And it is, yeah. you're sticking a it needle into violence. your body. 
And sure. I have a right to say no. Now it can be, and they say it can be religious. Uh, it can be, you know, a uh, health reason. I say, no, it can just be, I don't want to get it. I just don't want to. Yeah. I mean, I look, it is an act of violence. I mean, it's like um, people who think it's not, they're just wrong. And it's like, but it's an act of violence that you probably should do to avoid this horrible disease that Scott, you and I know better than oh, yeah. many people yeah. is really, really rough and really can kill you and uh, has killed is on the way to killing a million Americans at some point. So it's a, it's a serious, um, you know, it, it's a serious fucking problem. Um, but I just don't think that worker. Here's the thing. I almost feel like if the bosses and the government want to fire people for not getting vaccinated, let them. But we shouldn't be cheering. On the left, we should always be on the side of workers. And at bare minimum, we should not be approving of this message. Uh, I think we should combat it. I think we should fight it. I think it's, I mean, you know, because where does it stop? At a certain point, you know, employers could say, well, we really want uh, our workers to be, um, to ensure that they're eating a healthy diet. Uh, because that way our insurance costs will be lower. It does impact them. So if they, you know, if they, if we catch them eating at Wendy's, we're going to fire them. I mean, it, it, it just we yeah. have to draw the line and just say workers stand by workers no matter what. What kind of reaction are you getting to this? Have you gotten any kind of reaction yet? And, and by the way, the piece involved. I interviewed a lot of people who were uh, vax resistant, and you know, you can read their reasons; they vary. But um, the reaction has been uh, sort of mainly like uh, I disagree from a lot of people who didn't read anything other than the headline on the tweet. Uh, you know, they didn't read the article. Um, that's usually what happens with these things. Uh, people have their fixed opinions and, and they're not going to change. Uh, and they're certainly not going to change if they don't read an opposing opinion, which is usually the case. How dare you? <laughs> hey, listen, we're going to, okay, we're going to go back. Uh, we're coming up on another segment. Uh, it's going to be potpourri, as it were. So it's going to smell like. Like, like patchouli. All right. to the DMZ America podcast with Scott Stantis coming to you from the right. And Ted Rall coming to you from the left. And maybe we don't have to set, reset the table like that, but it's always fun to just say your own name. Seriously, think about during the course of your day, how many times do you say your own name? Uh, the, the whole thing. You don't. Uh, no, yeah, you don't. You don't at all. No. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's true. It's, and you know, I think at some point we might start releasing segment, you know, the podcast in segments, right? So that uh, people who don't have time for the in-depth coverage of, of, of the DMZ podcast in its entirety can take it a la carte. I think we can't, yeah. In 10-second segments. If anyone's listening out there can help us with that, how to do that and just kind of cut this up into bite-sized pieces and send those out. When we have to start building up, there's so much we have to do, Ted. That you can, yeah, you can, you can tweet at us at, uh, at Ted Rawl or at Scott Stantis. Yeah, please. Uh, and let us know. Yeah. yeah love to know. Anyway. Okay. So subjects coming up first and uh, foremost, we've got inflation. You, I, I feel like I'm interviewing you this whole podcast and that's not so bad. Um, but you wrote a piece about inflation, how inflation has been around forever, and it's really um, why people are just noticing it now, um, maybe because the numbers go up. We do have inflation, though. So could you explain your point, if you would? Yeah, so I'm going to radically simplify it. But basically, um, the, the United States uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics is the government agency that calculates the official inflation rate. And ever since 1980, um, uh, starting with Reagan, but um, subsequent presidents have done it as well. Uh, the, the the official inflation rate has been rejiggered in order to make it look lower than it would be if they had changed the calculate the calculus. Right. So, um, if there's a there's a blog called uh, Shadow Government Statistics that calculates the unemployment rate the inflation rate, the old-fashioned way, if they still did it the old way. And, you know, I, I would, uh, being you know, 58 years old, I kind of view that as, like, the right way. It's more reflective of what we really see. If you look yeah. at, like, 
Yeah, let me jump in real quick. Don't forget, these are numbers that have been fucked around with by administration after administration because, let's face it, if you're – it's uh, Bill Clinton's administration was really is the one that – Corrupted, corroded the uh, unemployment numbers. I mean, the, the unemployment, what's America? 3.4% unemployment, which we all know. You, me, left, right, human, non-sentient being knows is complete and utter bullshit. How is it possible for a, for a country with a 62% labor participation rate to have 4% unemployment? It's not. So the, um, and similarly, how is it possible when, uh, college tuition, uh, you know, back in 1980 was uh, about, um, uh, I think it averaged out at something like $7,000 a year. Um, you know, now it's $80,000 a year um, How for room, college room and board. I mean, the inflation rate for many of those years officially was 1% or 2%. If that were the case, things would not, I mean, there's an exponential component to this, but still, you wouldn't have anything would have increased by tenfold. And if you just think about how much a car costs or a gallon of gas or any kind of, or rent is a really good metric because that's how most Americans spend most of their paychecks. Um, there's, there's just no kind of relationship. The truth is that um, the inflation rate has been underreported by roughly 6 to 7% over the at last 40 years. And that has, that has a huge impact. If you just do put through, you know, run 6% to the 40th power through your calculator, you'll see that gets really big, really fast. Um, you know, if you paid, if you put in a thousand dollars into a bank account that yielded 6% interest uh, in 1980, and you uh, just let it roll over, you'd have a lot of money now. So, um, so what's been going on is, so basically inflation has been a problem throughout the 80s, 90s, aughts, and teens. But now only Joe Biden is really the first president since Jimmy Carter, who's taking political heat over it. And the reason is this, uh, the back in the late 1970s, when Jimmy Carter had to deal with inflation as a political issue, Americans became deeply concerned once it started to tick north of six, seven, eight percent. That's when people got pissed. That's the historical memory that we have. So the, you know, Reagan and the two Bushes and Clinton, as you mentioned, and Obama and Trump have been fucking with the inflation rate and underreporting it all these years so that it always looks like it's lower than 6%, uh, usually a lot lower, like 2% or 1% yeah. or 0.4%. Yeah. That also, by the way, aside from taking the political heat off these presidents, it also saves the Treasury a lot of money because uh, Social Security cost of living increases uh -huh. are tied to the official rate of inflation. So old, screw the old people. We'll just pretend like prices aren't really going up. Um, you know, nursing homes are a lot more expensive than they used to be, for example. Oh, yeah. um, <clears throat> so, so anyway, now what's happening is the official inflation rate is ticking back up to about 6%, 7%. And now, you know it's course, higher than that. You know it's higher. Which higher. means really it's 13, 14. Um, but like the point is we're noticing because we're back in that historical benchmark in like the sort of the hive mind. We all remember inflation over 7% is a problem. Here's inflation over quote unquote 7%. What's Joe Biden doing? And we can talk about that. But I'm just saying that, like, from a, you know, like, I don't carry water for the Biden administration, as you know, Scott. Right. Of course. But, no, but, no, but no, you do not. But it's like, I do think they're being uh, blamed unfairly. Perhaps they should certainly acknowledge the problem more than they've been doing. Uh, but they, uh, but certainly it's not like it's really radically new. It's just an ongoing problem that's getting a little worse. Yeah, I, um, I'm wondering if you use the metrics they used back in the 70s to judge and what the inflation rate actually is, because you're right. I mean, they, they fuck with these numbers all the time, and it's infuriating because- Well, shadow government know, statistics says it's like about 14% right now. I believe that. I mean, you go to the store. I mean, I, shit, anyone who's gone out to dinner in the last six months knows that the, not, the, the I expected an inflation. Or buying groceries. I mean, Scott, yeah. my mom used to send me to send me to Kroger's to buy groceries in Kettering. And, um, you know, I remember in the seventies, man, a, a $20 would get you four bags of groceries. 
I was talking I mean, to my wife, Janine, on the way home last night, talking about inflation, just saying we passed a gas station and looking at the price, which down here is about three twenty dollars a gallon, three nineteen dollars a gallon. Um, and just saying, God, remember when you could fill your, I mean, you know, you could fill your tank up for five bucks. Yeah, I know this is old people. Bad, bad, my day. You could, it is. We, we it traded is. shells and stones. Um, <laughs> but it's a, but it's a, the point though is that it's, you know, look, it's a radical transformation that the official statistics do not reflect. And okay, so now that said, um, there's, you know, the, the big question about inflation from the standpoint of, our, our times and the Biden administration is, I think, is this an, a temporary uptick? That's, and I think it is um, be, likely to be because, look, I mean, the economy was locked down for a year. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a lot of pent up consumer demand. Yes. People, I mean, stores are open again. People are, you know, like there's big concerts. People are, there's more activities. You know, there's more goods and services to be. And I, I think that's what's doing it. Uh, you probably the COVID relief funds that are you know burning a hole in some in, in consumers' pockets are contributing to the uh, urge to spend, and the labor shortage is also driving up prices because uh, as labor is short, that means uh, workers can demand a higher salary, um, and uh, and that's going to drive up prices as well. But I don't think it's a, a permanent like new reality, and it's and if it becomes one, I don't know why people are freaking out. We have a Federal Reserve policy that can tamp down, that can slow the economy. Yeah, but Ted, the only problem with that one is that, well, first of all, I hate the Federal Reserve because I I don't like fiction writing. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the the Federal Reserve now is, is you know what, what, what's interest rate now? It's still under three percent, right? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. they don't they can, have a lot of wiggle room to combat this now. Well, now they can increase. They can they, increase interest rates. Do you know what we need now? Win buttons. <laughs> yeah, well, that really helped in uh, in seventy in the, in the mid seventy five. Yeah, yeah, I've been seventy five. Speaking of Gerald Ford, went to the gave a, gave us gave an address to the joint because inflation was out of control and said, and so we're going to fight it with this slogan and this button, and it was whip inflation now win buttons. Right, and I was like, at the time, fourteen year old kid saying. That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard of in my life. I have a, I have from that period inexplicably whip inflation now playing cards. What? I mean, <laughs> I will not, show them to you. You can't. I stop. will. Can you can you describe them? Does it just have? They, so the, the, there's just the button, the the logo of the button on the cards. So the button was just a plain red or blue button that said. Uh, yeah, in so my political button collection, type. I have one of each um, that just has just says "win" in big block letters, <laughs> and and so it's that it's it's the blue one on the back of the cards. Because as every great economist from Adam Smith to Marx, what drives economies <laughs> is buttons <laughs> and, and and associated swag, <laughs> especially playing cards. Playing cards will totally change. And look, Scott, you laugh, but look, it, is inflation a problem now? Oh, wait. It is not now. It was, <laughs> and Jimmy Carter, as you mentioned, inherited, I mean, that was crazy. Uh, the inflation rate was 18%. The interest rates were over 20%. I mean, think about that. That's unfriggin' believable. But also, you know what is forgotten, and it is unfair to Jimmy, uh, who apparently just refuses to die, parenthetically. Um, he, uh, it's good because I can't come up with an obit cartoon for him, so go on. Oh, yeah. Well, it'll, a smile with a tear. <laughs> That's poignant. <laughs> or no, like no. Some of turn our that, colleagues. Turn I, that smile upside down. Could be some of our colleagues. I could have some animal or thing with a tear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you remember oh, that. the rabbit, the rabbit that attacked him when he was fishing. Oh, my God. No, the rabbit's waiting for him. In heaven. <laughs> <laughs> the rabbit has, like, the little, you know, like the, remember in Tom and Jerry, the, the hell episode where he, he dies and he goes to hell, and the, the big bulldog is, is the devil? Uh, so, like, the rabbit is the devil, the red rabbit. So Jimmy's going to hell? Of course he's going to hell. For, for just for, uh, 
just for the uh, boy, the Olympic boycott alone. By the way, the Biden administration, have you heard this, is thinking of and doing draft this. registration. Sorry, that is thinking of doing the same thing. Not the athletes, but apparently there's some. Did you know oh, this? China. From yeah, the China, uh, Beijing, the first city in the history of the Olympics to host both a summer and now a winter Olympics in 2022. Mm-hmm. Biden administration is considering boy having a political boycott of those Olympics. Apparently, why are they pissed at the Chinese? Because of your because of your islands, your fake islands. Well, I think they're, they're not mine. They're China's. I just, <laughs> right. <laughs> don't don't, don't, don't they forget just, it. <laughs> they piss me off though because they're clearly an encroachment of sovereign territory of other nations, and they're moving in. Um, did you hear? And today, the United States uh, had, a, we, had a destroyer, a missile launcher ship go through. I'm God, I sound like such an expert. A missile launcher ship thing. A ship went through the Straits thing. of Taiwan today. So I mean, they're uh, clearly being provided. Um, you know. But wait, why? What? Why? Why is Biden got? You know, why is he got? Why is he so butt hurt about China? Uh they know what they did. <laughs> yeah, it's like that expression I told you, right? Like What's the Russian, that? the Russian. There's a Russian uh, um, uh, aphorism: "If you see a Hungarian beat him, he will know why." <laughs> <laughs> I've not heard that before. That's lovely. Can I crochet that on a pillow? <laughs> Put it on a t-shirt. Oh man! Now, I, I, to a political boycott. Apparently, I didn't know this, Ted. Apparently, um, when you it's go, it's so to, unfair. It's so wrong to the for the. I mean, honestly, it's so wrong to the to, to, to the athletes. It's wrong. No, 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 no. Don't stay with me on this. It's not an. It's not a boycott of the athletes. Athletes get sent. Which oh, okay. for for my mind, being sixty plus years on the planet, I thought that's what the Olympics, you know, were all about. But apparently, you also. I mean, we didn't even we didn't even boycott the 1936 Berlin Games. So I think maybe we could uh, like we could sail through on this one. But and I, and I can also point to a political cartoon that won the Pulitzer Prize for best editorial cartoon in the United States that was saying, "Man, lay off the Nazis." Yeah, Hitler, <laughs> Schmittler. <laughs> what are they, what are, they they just want to be free. What's I mean? Look what the trains are on time. What, what can what I mean? We sh, we would like, hope that would happen. Hey, in the hey FDR, back off! <laughs> it was not, and you think Ted and I are kidding? We're not. There's there was no, a, one of the winning cartoons. I think it was what thirty six or anyway. So Actually, it's much closer to the war. It's like forty one or forty. Was it it's crazy? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, because oh, if it was forty, that means thirty nine had already happened, which means invasion. The Pulitzer Prize is always on the right side of history. Well, look at yeah, look at well, yeah. We're not gonna wait <laughs> to the two the two guys you've been snubbed year after year. <laughs> um, but here's what's happening, Ted. It's apparently when you send a delegation to a country, you know, uh, I guess Little Hammer was one of you know, as, as you send a political delegation as well. Mm-hmm. Did you know this? I don't even really understand what they would be doing besides just eating. <laughs> yes, and talking and watching sports. Uh huh. That's but that but apparently they're thinking of boy of of having a political boycott of the uh, winter. So would the so would the Chinese are the Chinese going to be like, oh no, stop, not that. You're Please, not sending no. Kamala. Oh shit. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyway, nice talking to you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got this thing. Goodbye. Bridge. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we have some we have some we have some Uyghurs to fuck with. Bye. <laughs> I just I, talking about Carter. I'm sorry. This just this is going to be a, a stream of consciousness. Okay, but also Jimmy Carter years, the first real gas crisis we had. Um, I was digging through some of my old cartoons. We you know I thought we, that was under under Ford was the when the energy when OPEC really no. hit hard. No, the lines and stuff. No, that was Jimmy Carter. Um, the gas rationing, yeah, yeah, the odd and even days and all that stuff. And I, yeah, I, yeah, I remember that. I came, I came across. It was one of the very first cartoon essays I'd ever drawn. It was being in, a, it was just writing about being in a gas line in Southern California, and how my God, gas is almost a dollar a gallon. It can't get any higher than that <laughs> ever. Yeah, yeah. But, my, my, my mom used to get those rationing coupons, and she drove a Renault car. Which got oh, like Jesus. apparently, 
750 miles per gallon. Um, and, uh, and, you know, all our friends who drove like, uh, 1973. She had actually literally had Vichy gasoline in the tank. (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, she used to give her ration coupons away uh, to the neighbors and they were like, they, I mean, it was like they would have done anything for her. They would have come over and licked the leaves out of her gutter. I mean, they were so grateful. Oh, it was crazy. I, it was crazy. But here's the thing. So now we, we talked about gas prices a few minutes ago. And now what, what is it in New York? It's here in, here in Alabama. Uh, it's about $4.60 a gallon. I mean, Whoa. it varies by state because, as you know, Scott, the most of the price of gasoline is is taxes. What was it when it, when it, when it remember when it hit like that five dollar a gallon mark a few years ago? How high did it get up there? Because I imagine it, it got to like I remember fi- I paid five fifty five once. Wow, wow, yeah. it's like driving in Europe, which is yeah, it is like uh, that. Except so the cars are more efficient. Now, here's something. Of all the issues we've talked about this over this podcast, this is the one that pisses me off the most, which is just tells you how stupid, wonky, and you know, out of touch I am. Um, the Biden administration said that they are definitely they're reporting today that they're definitely going to tap into the federal gas reserves to try to uh, cut the prices a little bit, especially during the Thanksgiving holiday, which won't work because apparently there's like a three week lag of when they release some of the, the petrol into the um, into the system until it actually hits the pumps. Um, what I hate about this is the federal, the, the, the gas reserves are there precisely for the reasons you suspect. If we're bombed by Russia or China or Djibouti, you know, if there's a nuclear attack, if somehow, um, you know, um, APEC. Or a, or a major pipeline disruption as occurred like last year. Remember that? Yes. Um, yes. Or yeah, or OPEC decides to you know say we're we're not in the gas business anymore. We're shutting down the wells. Any situation that's draconian like that, that's what that reserve is for. It's not to save some politician's ass in a midterm election. And that's precisely what this move is. Um, has this been? I know that this idea has, is often suggested whenever gas prices go up, um, and and I it usually presidents don't do it. Has it, have they done it before? I'm trying. I'm, and this is terrible. I mean, if only we had a machine in front of us where we I'm could look, look such up things up. Because yeah. if, I, if memory serves, and it really doesn't that much, <laughs> but if it does serve, I believe that. Um, and you're right; it's been mentioned over and over again. Uh, but I believe Obama did tap them, if I'm not mistaken, or seriously considered it. Um, but All right, we'll look that up. Okay, hold on. Obama released about 30 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve back in 2011. Right. So once you do that, once the first guy does it, the first president does it, then it's Betty Bar the door. It's going to be this is going to be a thing. Anytime that the prices are like, can, you know, you see a big dip in the polls, which, of course, <laughs> Joe Biden's seen a huge what is it down to now in the mid 30s. Oh, also, Donald Trump did it in 2019. Really? The same amount, or does it say? Or um, The number is not jumping out at me here. But, okay. Uh, yeah, because nothing's better in podcasting than listening to some guy read the internet. It's just, <laughs> it's just scintillating. Very you exciting. You cannot not listen to it. So true. So true. <laughs> so it's been tried. Like I said, first guy does it, then the following guys are all going to do it because you've got this big pool of of. of petrol that you could, you know, and, and the numbers go up. As those numbers go up, your numbers go down. What are you going to do? And that's what pisses me off. That's not oh, what this- Bush also did it. Um, I think this would be, you would say, uh, as part of a national emergency uh, related to fuel shortages following Hurricane Katrina. Oh, um, right, right. Because obviously um, Houston, right, and the, uh, the Gulf ports uh, were, yeah. yeah, but also the Gulf ports were oil uh, comes in and big heavy tankers deep uh, were closed for a time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that makes okay. So the Bush one not def- it makes perfect sense, but these others are were purely political alchemy, and that pisses me off. That's not why it's there. Um, right. 
And it's just going to be used this way more and more. I mean, I'm sorry, three, you know, three, like I said, down here, 319, 316 a gallon. It's not great, but it's not, you know, it doesn't, frankly, if you. Uh, oh, George H.W. Bush did it also. Wait, uh, what? What? In 1991, during the, uh, in, during the Gulf War, uh, anticipating that uh, there would be oil shortages following, you know, blowing up the nation's, the world's second largest oil producing country. Iraq. Yes. Well, that can be a problem. Yeah. Remember when that was going to pay for that war? Yeah. 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 Uh, we're going to keep the oil, someone said. Um, yeah. 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 That didn't go so well. Not as much as we had hoped. No. <laughs> we were unprepared. It was a failure. Um, okay. The Democratic Party, Ted, you got to explain this to me because, damn, um, they're looking at teeing up Kamala. It looks pretty obvious. They're uh, teeing up Kamala and, and Buttigieg for a battle royale. Winner take all in 20... 20- <laughs> Epic clash to the death between two short, unpleasant people. Could you imagine either one of them running against Trump? Well, I mean, I'm, we're going to have to imagine it because that's the current thinking um, right now. Well, uh, what, where's which, Joe Biden? I mean, he is president. At least he, we know he is. He may not know. I it, mean, but we ish. He's president-ish-esque Um, You know, uh, well, so look, I mean, come on, nobody, no serious minded person believes that Joe Biden's going to run for uh, re-election in uh, 2024. He'll be 82 years old. Um, You know, it's three years from now. And look at him now. Uh, You know, not too many, uh, you know, people who are 79 years old, you know, really like sort of hit that second wind when they turn 80. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, could happen. If it does, it'll be an interesting uh, footnote in American history. And a side note, I sent this story to Ted last night or the night before about how Biden t- keeps on the story of a house fire he had in his home in, De- in Delaware. Oh, God. And it was just a, it was a, it was a kitchen fire. Uh, the firefighter showed up. They put it out. It was a little damaged. And then went away. A speech he gave in the last couple of days, he talks about how his house burnt down around his wife. With his wife in it. I'm just going, what the fuck are you talking about? This- it, he's so weird. So anyway, the thing is, yeah, um, so, so, so like, so obviously the, you know, like the under, obviously normally the vice president, the, the incumbent vice president would be the, uh, the favorite to, to run for, you know, sort of like 1968 LBJ chooses not to run for reelection. So obviously his sitting vice president, Hubert Humphrey, uh, right. became the uh, nominee and you know uh, RFK's assassination aside RFK was probably not going to be the democratic nominee that year even if he had lived um the that's just sort of the way we do things in this country uh Kamala Harris however has probably the lowest approval ratings of any vice president since Dick Cheney and nobody yeah. ever thought of Dick Cheney as a viable presidential candidate um She's just very unpopular. We can talk about why at some other point. But so that has Democrats looking at, for, at other options. Um, Bernie is too long of the tooth. He's, yeah. he's, he, he's, How old would he's he be? Gonna, he's not interested. He know he's ironically in much better shape than the president, but he's not going to do it. He doesn't want it. He knows that his ship has sailed. Um, and so, you know, I think it's an open field, but for establishment types, they're looking at secretary of transportation and former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, um, not North Bend, not, not to be confused with North Bend. And, um, (laughs) he's, yeah, I mean, it's literally, so the question, there's like been some sniping back and forth between, uh, team Buttigieg and team Harris. Um, about this uh, must make the cabinet meetings interesting. Uh, it's it's weird. And like you're asking me to explain it. Look, the thing is what people in Washington and in the media always forget is you need voters to support people. And I just don't <laughs> think there's a tremendous what? cry for Kamala Harris or Pete Buttigieg to be our next president. I think that... Have you mentioned this... Democ- Whoever the Democratic com- nominee is going to be is someone probably that we're not even thinking about right now. Yeah. A dark horse. Well, McAuliffe is available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought he was I thought he was like raking the Clinton's leaves or something up in Chappaqua. <laughs> no, I, I it, it it's it surprises me. And have you talked to your Democratic friends or more and more mainstream corporatist 
Democratic friends about this because you say Kamala is unpopular. They just go, ah. they literally make that sound and wave you off. And so, like, yeah, no. my, my, yeah, my, my, my friends are kind of like, yeah, they kind of know it's true. I mean, you know, and they, they're just like, oh God. And it's like, and they kind of like have this thing like, I'm like, well, that means Donald Trump is in a, is in a good place for 2024. And they're all like, don't yeah. even say that. And I'm like, I'm not a warlock. I don't make anything happen. I'm just telling you what's going to I'm just telling you how things currently look. Yeah. I think next podcast, we should probably uh, take the time to look at viable Democratic candidates. I know people are thinking, well, why do I give a shit what a Republican cares? Thanks. But as Ted knows, and if you've listened to this podcast with any regularity, you know, I love politics. I like good politics. I like smart politics. And I and Scott, you like to care. And you also, I think it's, I know you think it's important for there to be at least, uh, you know, to be, have a viable democratic party, at least that we both agree on. We would like to have more yes. choices, not yeah. fewer choices. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's why, yeah. I mean, I, that's why you and I have been adamant on our support of third party candidacies and that states should liberalize those those uh you know the access to their ballots they're not yep. they should for and, sure and now is the time could you i mean you know anyway so anything else we want to talk about ted i think we're we should we should probably wrap it up you want to take us out I think we can take us out. I'm Scott Stantis. You can see my stuff at gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis or gocomics.com slash Prickly City, my comic strip. Or you can go to Counterpoint where you can see Ted Rawl and Scott Stantis and other terrific cartoonists. Subscription-based may be the future of editorial cartooning. Give it a look. Subscribe. It's affordable and it's very, very good. So that's where you can see me, Ted. Thanks, Scott. And you can uh, tweet at us uh, at, at Scott Stantis and at Ted Rawl. Uh, you can also check my stuff out at my website, Rawl.com, R-A-L-L.com. org runs my cartoons every Saturday. Sputnik News runs it every Tuesday and Wednesday. And GoComics.com runs it every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And those are all different comics. So there's one new one every single day. When the fuck do you sleep? What's that? <laughs> what is what is sleep? <laughs> Please to tell what is sleep. Uh, so for Ted Rawl, Nosferatu never sleeps. Au revoir, adieu. How do you say goodbye in Russian? Now all of a sudden I can't remember. Dasvidaniya uh, is like good morning, right? So, yeah, and I know spasiba is thank you. Spasiba is thank you. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to. Next time. If only I knew some Russian people to ask. (laughs) So until next time, 